Spirit. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to read us some scripture this morning. It's going to come to us from Matthew 9, 1 through 8. It's going to be on the screen here behind me. If you want to read along, you can. If you want to sit, if you want to sit and just listen, you can do that too. But Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up, and he went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say... Thanks be to God. We are in the middle of a three-week series about forgiveness. It's a tough series because it's a tough subject. It's a tough thing for us to, to internalize, to understand, to reconcile. We are journeying through the subject as we lead up to Lent because in just a couple weeks, we will be journeying to the cross during the Lenten season, which is all about personal reflection. It's all about recognizing our own mortality, our limited time on this earth and how we can be the humans God has created us to be. And forgiveness is part of that, and it's such an essential part of it, we decided to devote three weeks just to this idea of forgiveness. Last week, we talked about the idea that forgiveness is a power. It's the greatest power in the world. It is a power that can transform everything. This week, I would like to talk to us about what happens when we accept forgiveness. Actually, what I'd like to talk about is our propensity and the difficulty we have, the things that prevent us from accepting forgiveness. Because sometimes accepting forgiveness is even harder than offering it. And so this morning, I'd like to preach from the subject, the power to be forgiven. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Do you have the power to read minds? This is a power I can't tell if I would want or not. Like those movie, What Women Want, I haven't seen What Men Want, but it's a sequel to it. But the idea to know what people around you are thinking, I cannot decide if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Like, would it be good as to advance yourself in life to know to how to help people around you, or would it just be kind of insufferable to, re- to really hear what people are thinking? about you as you stand in their presence. The reason why I know I don't have this power is because once upon a time, I went through the first year of marriage. (laughs) Yeah, those of you who are married know what I'm talking about. Here's another thing, I forgot to get permission for this story. (laughs) I love you, am I good? You don't know what it is, but am I good? I think as preachers, you should always ask for permission before you put somebody in a sermon. And I always do, except today I forgot. (laughs) But no, it's not a bad story, it's not a bad story. Because our first year of marriage is probably pretty relatable to to some of your first year of marriages if you've been married, or one day if you will be married, it will be something like this. 
to where you live your lives separately your entire life and then you come together and you learn how to share a house and you learn how to share a life and you learn how to share chores. And by share, I mean you learn what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And the reason why I know I can't read minds is because we have very different philosophies on dishes in our house. Brianna thinks, Brianna thinks, sorry, now we think, but are used to. Brianna thinks that if you were to take a dish after you eat it, just go ahead and rinse it and put it in the dishwasher and it's done. Which to me, I get an amen from Sandy Ace over there, she's clapping, I hear you Sandy. No, to me, what makes more sense is why else do you own 12 plates if you're only gonna use one of them? So you use them all until you need more and then you wash them. Like, I think it makes perfect sense. But these two philosophies do not go hand in hand. And the trouble is, we never talked about it. We just both kept living our lives based on our dishwashing philosophy. Until one day, amongst other things, I learned how wrong I was. And then my philosophy was not the correct philosophy for this marriage. All of a sudden, I, I was aware of something for which I was previously completely unawares. And I did not know was having an effect on her well-being, on my well-being, on the well-being of our marriage. And so at that moment, I learned that I needed to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Thankfully, I have a gracious wife. And today, when we finish a dish, we put it in the dishwasher. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm glad I'd asked for permission. I might not have been able to tell that story. No, I say all this because it was only after I was made aware of my wrongness for which I knew and learned that I needed to ask for forgiveness. And I say this comedically because the subject of forgiveness is often not very funny. And so when it is, it's okay to celebrate it. And it helps us realize that there are a lot of things in life for which we might need to ask for forgiveness, and we might not have any idea. Who knows the type of things, the consternations we are causing someone else, the things we are saying or doing for which we might not even know. I wanna come back to that in just a minute. But first, let's just step back and read some of our scripture lesson this morning, revisit our texts from our gospel lesson. Once again, we enter into this gospel story, and Jesus, is getting in trouble, which is one of the things Jesus is really good at. And it's one of the things that makes me love Jesus because it makes me feel better about myself. Because if Jesus is always in trouble and I'm supposed to be more like Jesus, then the fact that I'm always in trouble is a good thing. It's holy. I'm just trying to be holy. I'm just trying to be holy. But, but his is for the sake of righteousness. Mine is more just the sake of stupidity that I didn't know that I should be doing something that I'm not doing. But anyway, Jesus is a great model for us as he is having this experience of jumping off the boat right back into his hometown. He's jumping off the boat back in his hometown and the very first thing that happens, he gets off this boat, he steps on land and, and somebody comes and lays a paralyzed man at his feet. They bring him on his mat, his friends bring him and they lay him at Jesus's feet. And Jesus saw they had faith and so he said to the man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. 
And when he said this, there were other people around, and some of them were the religious leaders. They were the Pharisees and the scribes, the people for whom Jesus was often in trouble with. And so they were so frustrated, and they said to each other, who does this man think he is? He is blaspheming. And Jesus could feel their vitriol, their animosity. And he said to them, why do you entertain such evil faults? Which first would freak me out a little bit, because they said it to themselves and to each other, but somehow Jesus knew. It says Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so they're over there scheming, being really upset, probably just throwing shade on shade with their eyes at Jesus. And he's over here saying, why are you thinking those things? Why are you being so upset? And he asks them, what is easier? Is it easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, that's an interesting question because normally we side with Jesus. Normally Jesus, you know, is the person who we always agree with. But that question, if I were to answer, if somebody were to ask me, what's easier, to just forgive somebody or to heal them of being paralyzed, not being able to walk? I mean, I would probably say forgiving somebody. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, what is easier, to heal a man or to forgive a person of sins? And so he says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He was saying, I want you to know that I have been given the permission, the authority, the responsibility to forgive sins. He says, so to prove this to you, so that you realize that I've been given this authority, I will add in addition to his forgiveness of sins, the healing of this man's body. I will heal his soul and I will heal his body. And he told the paralytic man, he said, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man did. Stood up, being paralyzed for years and years and years. Took his mat and he went home. And as a result, they all started praising God, all the people that were around, the people who had faith. They started praising God, and they realized that Jesus had been given the authority to do this work. This is an interesting passage. It's fascinating for a number of reasons. I mean, for one, the man Jesus saw, when he first saw him, he forgave him of sins before he did the physical healing. Which one, you know, the question is, which one's easier? But just the fact alone that he saw the man paralyzed there on the mat Instead of asking, hey, do you want me to heal you of your physical ailment? He first asked. Actually, he didn't even ask. He just does it. He does it because this is interesting too. Normally, we think the faith of a person is what leads them to be healed. That's a very Old Testament kind of way of thinking, right? If you obey, then you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. But Jesus said he saw the faith of the friends. The Bible says Jesus saw the faith of the friends. It had nothing to do with the man on the mat. The man on the mat didn't ask to be forgiven. He didn't ask to be healed. He didn't ask for any of these things. It says that Jesus saw the faith of the friends and healed the man on the mat. Well, he forgave him of sins and then he healed him from his paralytic state. But I think the thing that I actually relate the most to in this story, the thing that I can probably say is, is most real in my life is the gall of the religious leaders. Typically when we read stories, whether it's the Bible or any other story, 
we like to put ourselves in the position of the protagonist, the hero. We read ourselves into the lens of the person who is doing good things. So often we associate our experience with reading scripture with Jesus or the apostles or you know whoever's the good person, we wanna be like them. But I think if I were to be honest, I'm more often like those who are questioning Jesus than I am like Jesus. I wanna be like Jesus, but I think more often than not, I find myself identifying my behavior my way of thinking with that of these religious leaders. You see, I also question at times about the authority to offer forgiveness, about what gives Jesus this right. In fact, sometimes I find myself questioning the whole behavior and the whole practice of forgiveness, of offering forgiveness. I mean, the whole practice seems a little far-fetched and almost unbelievable to think that somebody could just do that, to just offer forgiveness in that way. I mean, the, the reason I feel this way is because I struggle myself with offering forgiveness. And I think the reason why I struggle offering it is because sometimes, more than often, I struggle at accepting it. I don't think we can truly offer forgiveness until we learn to accept forgiveness. The times when I refuse to appreciate or even believe that I'm forgiven are the times when I question the whole thing of who Jesus is and what God wants to do to us and what grace and love actually mean. And I venture to guess that there's maybe another person in here that might feel the same way. I mean, maybe not, maybe you got the whole thing down. So if so, just please, you know, humor me for just a minute as as the rest of us kind of struggle through what this means and how do we actually know what it looks like to accept forgiveness. Because I think there are a few reasons why we struggle with accepting forgiveness. I think there's really two main reasons. I think the first is we don't know that we need to ask for it. Like I didn't know I was doing the dishes wrong, so I didn't even know I needed to ask for forgiveness. I mean, I think there are plenty of things in our life for, that, for, which, for which that is true, right? For some of us, there's a naivete or, or a, an ignorance about the things that we do that we don't know are causing consternation. Think about the times that you've been humbled in life to learn that you've been doing something that's been hurting somebody and how that made you feel. Are there other things in your life that you, if you were to sit and be honest with, you, you might realize maybe there's something I need to do that I need to ask for forgiveness period because I didn't even realize what I was doing was causing problems. Have you heard the song Amazing Grace? You know, there's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That song is about John Newton's transition, his experience with justifying grace, the salvation that it offered. It, it, realized, it helped him realize that he was, you know, participating in, in practices in life that were less than stellar, he gave up licentiousness and drunkenness and all these things. But did you know when he, he wrote that song, he was actually still an active member of the slave trade. Here he is saying, a wretch like me, I once, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And yet he's still participating in this horror. When I found that out, I was pretty shocked about it. But I also think it goes on to show, if you read the rest of John Newton's story, that by the end of it, 
the sanctifying grace of God continued to work in his life where he continued to ask for forgiveness. He continued to learn the ways in which he was blind. He continued to realize how he was lost. And by the end of his life, he was one of the biggest proponents of abolition in England, realizing the horrors of what he had done and fighting against those who continued to perpetuate it. So I'm not trying to say John Newton was always this perfect person. But it's like, as he realized that he was blind to one thing, it woke him up to he was blind to other things and it continued to grow over and over. Just because you realize the one area in life in which you used to be bad at something and now you're better doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out and now there's not other things for which you need to ask for some forgiveness. Amen? I think the other thing about you know, not knowing is sometimes we, we are intentionally ignorant of the things that we are doing that we should not. I do believe if maybe if, if somebody had shown John Newton the ways in which what he was doing is problematic right away, I think, I hope, I believe he would have turned immediately. It took time. But I think there are other things in life for which we know we are doing something we shouldn't do, yet we continue to do it and refuse to believe it's wrong because it would affect our livelihoods. It would affect the way that we go about practicing our places in society. It would affect a lot of things. And I say some, some kind of anecdotal examples that are a little bit humorous, right? To make us think about it. Y'all remember the anchor Brian Williams when he got in trouble last year, year before last? He was reporting all these stories about how wonderful of a reporter he was, continuing to tell people about his, but the whole time they were lies, like he was just making them up. But he kept doing it knowing that, you know, he started on this track and he had to keep it going. Like the same thing, right? With Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos, did you hear about that company? They were gonna be able to do all these blood tests and they knew it wouldn't work, but they were continuing to push it out because they had promised everybody. And it was like a snowball and it kept going and going. Or did y'all watch the Firefest documentaries? They're really funny, you should, I'm just saying. But they knew that this whole festival was not gonna work, but yet they still invited a whole bunch of millennials to an abandoned, to an island in the Bahamas where there was no food and no bathrooms and no places. And they they knew, but it was on this train, they started as like lie after lie. And once you do this one thing, it's like you can't give it up. And so you've convinced yourself like, well, if I just keep it going, eventually it will work out. You continue to operate in a way that you know is wrong, that maybe in your heart of hearts, you know you should ask for forgiveness, but you refuse to believe it. You refuse to accept it. What is that in your life? What are the things for which you are unwillingly or willingly ignorant of for which you need to ask for forgiveness. The other thing I think that prevents us from being able to accept forgiveness, there's sometimes where we don't know we need to ask for forgiveness. But I think maybe the thing that's even more sad, breaks my heart, is that we don't believe we are worthy of being forgiven. Is there anybody in this room at any time in your life, you don't have to raise your hand, just think, that you've ever felt like I'm not worthy of being forgiven? You think of the things you've done. You think of the things you've said, the things that, the people whose lives you've affected. You look back on your life and you think that there's a narrative that says, I I know I'm wrong, but I don't deserve to be forgiven. I know I'm wrong, but God could not forgive me. Preachers up there talking about forgiveness, how we need to ask for it. But he doesn't know what he doesn't know the things I've done. He doesn't know the places I've been. He doesn't know where I've come from. He doesn't know the sins I've committed. Have you ever been there? Because equally as difficult in accepting forgiveness, 
thing that can prevent us from it is always fighting and pushing back against this idea that it might work for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. The thing about both these reasons of not accepting forgiveness, the thing they have in common, is that they're both bold-faced lies. The idea that we have no need to be forgiven because we haven't done anything wrong and the idea that we are not worthy of being forgiven are both lies. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not a person in this room who is not in need of forgiveness. There is not a person in this room who is perfect, who is not messed up, probably today. Like Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his services, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Others of those sins were born out of arrogance. Paul says, I, I know that I have messed up. This is like one of our, our pillars of our faith. He says, I know that I acted in ways I should not, but God's grace poured out on me. Some of our inability to accept forgiveness, our refusal to recognize we need it is born out of ignorance and some of it's born out of arrogance, but just no matter where it comes from, it's a lie because we are all in need of being forgiven. And we are all offered forgiveness, no matter who we are, what we've done. Because forgiveness from God, the grace that God offers us, it's not about you, it's about God. It's not about what you've done, it's about what God has done. It's about what God has done in and through the person of Jesus Christ, it's what God has done through creation, is what God has done by offering us the Holy Spirit, is about what God has done on the cross. You are forgiven, not because of who you are, not because there's anything special just about you compared to anybody else, but because God has given grace to everyone. Forgiveness is offered to you in spite of all those things that you think about yourself. You are loved even if you feel unworthy. God offers you grace, even if you think you don't deserve it. And the truth is, there's a lot of times we might not deserve it, but grace is unmerited favor, and God offers it to us anyway. You know, the founder of Methodism, unintentionally founder of Methodism, John Wesley, he even struggled with this thing too. Like we talk about our Wesleyan beliefs all the time and such, but even this guy, after his failed experience of trying to be a, a, a pastor over here in the United States, he went back over to England and he was really upset about his life and his ministry and where things were going and he just didn't feel like he really knew where God was and didn't feel like he was really living out his Christian faith the way he should and he was sitting there at Aldersgate, a church, and he had this experience where he said his heart was strangely warmed. And we tell this story all the time about how God, you know, moved in his life and he experienced God in a new way that he hadn't before. But the thing about that story, if you've never heard it, that I find so fascinating, is that John Wesley said a line that really stuck with me. He, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed 
I felt actually that I did trust in Christ, even though he was really, at a point in his life, he was really down, he had this moving experience. He said, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley said, my sins, even mine, as if he thought, you know what? He can take away everybody else's sins, but he even took away my sins. Like the people we revere the most that we think have it all figured out, even they struggle with this idea of not feeling worthy. And so let me say to all of us in this room, like last, forgiveness is a power. It can change the world. And it can change your life if you accept it. If you accept the responsibility that you have sinned, that you have done wrong, that there are things in your life that are not perfect, and you recognize your own faults, you can experience that power of forgiveness. And if you also recognize the fact that there's nothing you can do to earn this, none of us are perfect, which speaks even more to the power and majesty of God's grace. And so if you feel unworthy, welcome to the club. We've all been there. But no matter who you are, what you've done, what you've been through, what you've said, what you've experienced, you can be forgiven. You are forgiven. You are loved. And let's let that power change our lives so that for the kingdom, we can change the world. Will you pray with me?